Well, thanks, George. Thank you, everybody, for joining us tonight as we continue this series, like George said here on the, the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you've been with us for these weeks at all, as we've been unfolding this intro and the beginning of the book, Ecclesiastes is all about contradictions, it's all about complications, uh, the, really the realities of life, about how so much of life is full of toil and pointlessness, and then how so much of life is also about enjoyment and pleasure and finding God's plan for us. And as we, so as we come through all of this, you know, in light of the reality of the complex world that we live in, the author of Ecclesiastes wants to actually give us instruction for living, though. It's not just the doom and gloom of everything is meaningless, everything is pointless, but with a complex and ultimately pointless world that we live in with all the disappointments and the pains, God has given us actual things in our life to promote happiness, to give us joy, things that are good, that were intended for our good, things that were for, intended for enjoyment, things that were intended and are intended to grow us as individuals, to grow us in our relationship with God, to grow us in relationship with other people. And there's really three things in particular that the book of Ecclesiastes really wants to point out as these good gifts from God that he's given to us. Work, food and drink, and relationships. That really these three things are repeated over and over again through Ecclesiastes as good. In the midst of a world that is complicated, that's falling apart, that ultimately is disappointing, there is in fact good things that God has given us. Things that are worth investing in, things that are worth taking seriously, things that God has given us to pursue as we pursue the life that God has called us to pursue. This life of joy, a life of faith, this life of enjoying the gifts that God has given while fearing God. That ultimately Ecclesiastes is calling us or laying out for us a path, a path of wisdom, a wise life, a life that reflects God, reflects his goodness, and reflects what he's created us for. And so to understand it, this, the book of Ecclesiastes then really begins with this idea of work as this primary first good gift that God has given to us. In the midst of a, just a meaningless, hard existence, which again, all of us know. We know these things to be true as we look around the world and we feel the hurts and the pains and the disappointments. In the midst of all of that, the author of Ecclesiastes says, right, there is nothing better than to work. There's nothing better than work. We were made for work. And if you know your scripture, right, this is all the way through it. Work was in the garden well before the fall. Right? Like God worked in the garden, making every living thing. God made man and woman to work in the garden, to care for things. Work is in our DNA. Work is something that we need. In fact, it's one of the few things that we can take in large doses and it's actually healthy and good for us. Right? The, that biblical narrative again in Genesis for work, right? It's six days on of work, one day of rest, a six to one ratio. We, can, we were meant for work. We can handle work and not just handle it, we really need it because it is a gift that the Lord has given to us a gift to be able to work because, and many of us have experienced this or see this in our own life, we see this in cultures, when we don't have work, we feel the effects of that. We don't feel like we have meaningful work, we don't have things to do, we run off the rails, 
we have all kinds of consequences and things. Like we can take a lot of work and a little bit of rest. If we inverse those and we take six days of rest and one day of work, there's consequences. It's not the way we were built. It's not the way that we we're meant to live. We're, we're, we're beings that were created for work. Work is for us. It's something that's good and inherent in us. And in fact, when we think about it, work is also probably the greatest witness we have to our relationship with Jesus Christ in the world is our work. We're going to spend so many hours of our lives, the majority of our time, actively working. So the way in which we go about our work, the way in which we talk about our work, right? Every conversation with neighbors, with friends, with various people usually always comes back to work. You know, we, we work all day. We talk about work. We reference work. The, how we go about work really is this primary witness to who we believe in and how God has been working in our lives. And the author of Ecclesiastes wants us to see that in the midst of a world in which everything feels pointless and meaningless, God has gifted us work. Work is a good thing, but that it's also not the ultimate thing. The author also wants to, and this is why we, we wanted to give you the, the more fuller picture of the verses on work in this and not just the one positives or the few positive verses in Ecclesiastes on work because the author wants to demonstrate oh, work is complicated, just like all of reality is complicated. Work, while it is a good and a meaningful gift from the Lord and for our happiness, work is ultimately meaningless still. It still, work, no matter how good it is, still can't satisfy my deepest desires and my appetites. Work, even though it's a gift, still feels like a treadmill at times that I'm just always doing the same things or it's repetitive and I can't wait for a new treadmill or something to change. You know, work is still hard. It's still fallen. And work, like the author points out, is often, if not almost always, motivated by envy and greed. But the reason we work, the reason we throw ourselves into work, the reasons we work so hard are tied up in our pride and our competition with others, which then leads us to overwork, leads us to neglect family and relationships, which is vanity, he says, right? So we have this good gift from God, but it's complicated. This is why Ecclesiastes just feels so real. True, genuine wisdom has got to be real. It has to be honest. And the, the picture of work is an honest one, where we can say and see that work is great. We need work. Work is a gift from the Lord. We were made for it. But at the same time, work is terrible. And we felt that, and we feel that in our bones as well. We love to work, and we hate to work. We have a very complicated relationship with work, uh, and always have. Every culture, every people, right? It's one of those great joys in our life, and also one of the greatest sources of stress and toil in our life is work. And so the author of Ecclesiastes is calling us then to a wise perspective towards work in this world. And this perspective that the author is calling us to then as believers in Jesus Christ, as fearers of God, right, is to have an honest attitude of rejoicing in work. That's the call, to rejoice in work. There's nothing better for man than to rejoice in his work. 
To rejoice in our work, right, really is this call for us to put work in its proper place in our lives. Where we can see it as a gift from God and a means to enjoy life, we can see the good in it and we can rejoice in it. And we can see it as a gift, but also not as a means of salvation, not as a means of achieving satisfaction. That work is the gift. The work is the gift, not the thing work gives us. The work itself is what we rejoice in, not the money that comes from the work or the free time that comes from the work or the recognition that comes from the work or the feeling of service that comes from the work. No, the work is the gift from the Lord, and we rejoice in the work. Uh, Dorothy Sayers, maybe many of you have read this. You know, she, Dorothy Sayers was a really popular novelist in the early 20th century. She wrote a lot of crime novels and various things. And, um, but she also wrote a series of essays uh, in 1942, and one of them was Why Work? And I just wanted to read a quote from this. You know, in, in her essay on, on work, you know, she says, you know, why we should see work not as a necessary drudgery to be undergone for the purpose of making money, but as a way of life in which the nature of man should find its proper exercise and delight and so fulfill itself to the glory of God. That it should, in fact, be thought of as a creative activity undertaken for the love of the work itself. And that man, made in God's image, should make things as God makes things for the sake of doing well a thing that is well worth doing. We should not think of work as a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. Like Dorothy was really trying to argue, and this is so prevalent today, right? Like we are so entwined in the things work gives us that we can't even think of work for work's sake. Like making money in work, just or recognition or status that comes from work, whatever it is, like we just we we have a hard time unpacking that, right? Her argument was the reason we should be working, we should work because work is a gift. Instead of seeing it as this drudgery, seeing it as a necessary evil, right? For most of us, we see work as just a necessary evil that we have to do. We have to work because if I didn't work, how would I provide for my family? If I didn't work, how would we have the life that we have? If I didn't work, how would I get the things that I want in life? Work is a necessary thing rather than what Dorothy writes, right? Where work is where we find our proper exercise and delight. And it's when I work that I come alive and I find I'm exercising parts of myself that need to be exercised, right? Like this work is just good for me to work. Work for work, not for the things that work gives, and this is hard because we even take then, if it's not about money, right, if it's not just working for the money, we can, we can get on board with that and say, yep, I'm not just going to work for money. I'm gonna, my work is an act of service to people or is an act for others. I work for my family. I work for my community. I work for the betterment of the world. That's tricky. Dorothy says, right, again, like, it, it, there's a problem with that too. You know, if you don't serve the work, then the work itself is never going to be a gift to you, right? The work, work will never disappoint you, Dorothy writes, right? Like if you just serve the work, that's a master that'll never disappoint you with work because there's always going to be more work. The work is the work. 
And if you enjoy the work, the work is always going to be in front of you. But if you're working for something, you're going to be disappointed. The money will never be enough or good enough, or the raise when it doesn't come will always be disappointing, or the promotions, or whatever it is. If you're working for others, then you're always going to be in need of recognition or wanting the community to see how much you work or how hard you work for them or your family to take it to show appreciation for how hard I have worked and labored for them. Like If we work for something else, we will never be satisfied. If we love the work and rejoice in the work that God has given us, we won't be disappointed with the work. We work because we were made for work. We rejoice in our work because to have work to do is a gift. One that we really take for granted. If any of you have ever experienced the law, like injury or loss of mental capacities or where you just couldn't work, I mean, you, you know this. To work is a gift from the Lord and one that we should not be taking lightly. Just to be able to work is a gift and one in which we can rejoice. So the call of Ecclesiastes to us, this path of wisdom, the call of wisdom to us is to rejoice in the work that God has given. No matter the work, no matter where we find ourselves, what work it is, it may not have been the work that we were planning on or hoping for or are hoping for. It may be the various stages of life that we're in, but the work that you have been given, praise God that you have work, that you, there is something to do, something to cultivate, something to create something to do and to imitate God in. Not disregarding our work, but rejoicing. Having an attitude of thankfulness and hard work, an attitude of worship in the midst of our work. Not, on the one hand, viewing our work too lowly and disregarding it and not taking it seriously, but also, on the other hand, not viewing our work too highly and too seriously, so that it's all-consuming, but rather finding joy in the work that God has given us to do. Now, like all wisdom, though, this is hard. And the author doesn't give us all the easy answers, just gives us this call that's very straightforward, rejoice in your work. All right, but it's, that should cause us some levels of discomfort, and it causes us some levels of questioning. I mean, am I doing the right kind of work? Can I rejoice in my work? Do I rejoice in this work? Could I ever rejoice in the work that I am currently doing? Do I grumble and complain about my work? Do I use work for things it was never meant to give? Why am I working at the job that I am? Or why am I not working at the job that I'm not working at? Right? What are my motivations with those things? Do I have a healthy balance when it comes to work? What does my life look like to those who are outside, who are looking at it? Right? If someone was to evaluate, again, your work, the way you work, the way you talk of your work, the amount of time that you work, all of these things. I mean, what would they say about your motivations, your desires? Would they see an enjoyment of God's gifts with a fear of the Lord? Or what would they say? What is this attitude and posture that you have towards work, that we have towards work as believers? What makes work difficult is that we tend to, like I said, we have this very complicated relationship with work because with work, with the joys and the pleasures that it gives and with the disappointments that it gives, we 
kind of tend to vacillate, just like with everything, between these kind of two extremes, which the author of Ecclesiastes points out with that proverb here of the two hands of quietness. You know, on the one hand, there's this foolish response to work where you just kind of fold your hands, where you just think too lowly of work. Work is terrible. It's best just to avoid it. There's this view then of work as a necessary evil, sure, but if I don't have to work, I'm not going to work. And so for many of us, that's our natural tendencies towards work, where we have a lack of investment in work. We don't think of work as a gift from the Lord. We don't try a lot at work. We're going to do the bare minimum expected or hoped for at work or with our work. We're looking to clock out as early as possible. Uh, if they're looking for somebody to give up a shift that we volunteer, you know, they, just bare minimums, right? I'm not, work is, I will do the bare minimum I need out of work because work is just this necessary evil in my life. And we experience the consequences of that, that perspective, right? We all have too little work, not work that's fulfilling, work that's drudgery, work where we just go through the motions, It doesn't produce happiness. It doesn't produce joy. It doesn't produce this life that God is calling us to. In fact, it looks really unappealing. And it is unappealing to live this life that doesn't take work very seriously, that doesn't care about work. So some of us are not investing in work enough. We need to take work more seriously and see it as a gift. We really have to get over ourselves because it's really, it's it's an arrogance, right? It's an arrogant perspective to turn down a gift from God and treat it lightly and say, yeah, I know you made me to work, but I'd prefer not to work. I would prefer to rest all the time. Like, that takes a lot of arrogance to say that to the Lord, that I'm not going to do the thing that you've given me to do for my good. No, I'd rather not. Some of us have got to get over that pride and arrogance and work and get to work and work hard. Now, we may need to address the work we're doing, and maybe it is finding a work that we can really invest in and and enjoy the work that God has given, but we have to take work more seriously. But then there's this other extreme where we take work to, we think of work too highly, and that's this other part. We, we, instead of two hands folded and eating away at our flesh, we just put two hands on the wheel and we go for it. And then you look back, right, and say, oh man, what was I doing all this for? I don't even have anybody to share any of these things with. I don't have, my brothers have left me, my family has left me, I don't have anything, because all I did was work my whole life. Um, And then we certainly see plenty of examples of that response to work in our culture and in our lives and our families as well. This overinvestment in work where we find, because work, it's good and it does scratch that itch and it does lead to happiness and joy. And just like any good thing, it can quickly become an ultimate thing where we can throw ourselves into work more and more and more. So we overinvest, and we experience those consequences. And most of the consequences felt like that are on the family end, on relationships that suffer and that hurt. So some of us are striving too hard, right? And as the author says, it really just comes down to envy and pride. We really enjoy it. We enjoy being busy, and this gets right into this kind of American ethos of hard work, You know, we take pride in being busy. We take pride in showing up late to things because I was working. It's, you want to be able to work. And I work, 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 work. (laughs) You know, sorry, Tim. Tim just came in late because he was working. (laughs) But some of us, we have this this arrogance, again, 
but it's a pride and a competitiveness when it comes to work. We just take it too seriously. And the issue is that both groups, just like Ecclesiastes says, both of these groups are never going to be satisfied. You'll never find enough rest to actually have rest, right? We need work. And no amount of work is ever going to fill up that emptiness either. Because both responses are ultimately same. They both, both responses view the things works gives rather than the work itself. Both just want the things from work. If it's the status that work gives us, the money that work gives us, the freedom and time that work gives us, or they want to avoid those things, they've recognized or disillusioned and they just want to get off the treadmill, but both see the same things. Both fail to see work rightly and to enjoy work as a gift from God. So as Ecclesiastes says, right, man's appetite is never satisfied. If you come to work hungry, we're never going to be filled. If you come to work looking for work to fill that hole or to fill that need, it just doesn't work that way. Work wasn't designed to satisfy us. But that doesn't mean work wasn't designed for us to enjoy and to find happiness in. Work was created as a means by which we experience God and love other people. And we'll never be able to truly enjoy work without finding satisfaction somewhere else. Otherwise, we're always just going to come to work hungry and it never will fully satisfy. Because if nothing in the world can satisfy us, and that's what you know, Ecclesiastes continually keeps trying to point out to us, like, and he's just going to hit us over and over again with everything, you know, this isn't going to satisfy you. This won't satisfy you. Well, if nothing can satisfy me, there has to be something that will actually fill us. And the author points us in this direction to the fear of the Lord is the only thing that's really going to ultimately satisfy. This fearing the Lord, this trusting that God is the one who is actually going to fulfill us, that God is the one who is actually going to meet our needs, that God will make all things right, that God is with us all the time in every circumstance, in every crummy job, in every great job, in every stage of life, God is with us and has good for us and is making things right. For the author of Ecclesiastes, right, it was just this hope, hope and faith that God would satisfy the deepest desires of his heart because he couldn't find anything in this world that'd be able to do it. For us, right, we actually have a better position than the author of Ecclesiastes did because we actually have a certainty and experience of God and his love. Like, this is what it means to be a Christian. Right, a Christian is that we know and we experience God's love for us because we believe that God sent his son to show us this kind of love. We don't have to just hope that God loves us, that God is for us, that God satisfies our desires and our needs. We know that he does because he sent his son. Jesus Christ was a real person who really lived and who really died, but who didn't just come to give us a system to follow to find satisfaction. He didn't just give us a rules and tell us all these things. There's been a lot of teachers like that. I mean, the Buddha sounds a lot like the author of Ecclesiastes. We'll say the same things. Ego, pride, envy, arrogance, it's all spinning this treadmill. The wheel of life keeps on going. You should, everyone should get off the wheel. Yep, and the only way to do it is to detach and eventually find nirvana and you'll get off the whole deal. Jesus doesn't do that. 
He doesn't come to tell us how pointless everything is and if we just do something, we can get off the wheel of life or get off of the treadmill. Rather, he comes and he gives himself for us. He says, I can take care of that desire. I can take care of that envy. I can take care of that pride. I can take care of your deepest needs that are keeping you on that treadmill, never finding joy, never finding satisfaction. Because Jesus and Jesus' earthly ministry, right, he dealt with a lot of hungry people who came to him looking for food and drink. And he always fed them, (laughs) but he always pointed them to where true satisfaction would be found in him. Jesus came to be the thing that will finally fill us and make us whole. Jesus' love for us is the only thing that's great enough to satisfy our appetites and our desires, which enables us to enjoy our physical lives more and more when we're filled up and full. It's the living life hungry versus living life filled. Going to work hungry and going to work filled up. It's I mean, similar to going to the grocery store, probably, right? Hungry and going to the grocery store full. You make a lot more wise decisions full at the grocery store. You're sober-minded. You're, you can walk the path of wisdom in a lot better ways than you do when you're hungry. When you are hungry, when we are desperate for recognition, for money, for power, for those things, we are not sober-minded with work. And we grumble and complain or we don't appreciate the work that we have, or we overdo it with the work that we do have. But if we are full, full with the fullness of God, filled up with him, we can approach work and we can see it now as a gift. An honest perspective towards life, an honest perspective towards work. We can see the goodness that work gives us. It's a gift, but we can also... It's the, our appetites, right, are dulled. We're less likely to overindulge. And we're going we're gonna to do these things because we're in the flesh. We're going to vacillate and sometimes overemphasize our work and go for it too hard and neglect our families. We're going to underutilize our work and not take work seriously enough and be lazy. We're, we're going to do that because we're sinners and we're in the flesh still. But the more and more we abide in Christ, the more and more we abide and find that fullness and satisfaction and joy in him, the more we're able to walk down this path of wisdom that the author of Ecclesiastes is calling us to. Where we can see the pointlessness all around us, we can see the world burning and everybody on the treadmills of life working hard for nothing, and we can have joy and satisfaction and thankfulness in our work. We can take our work seriously and we can share with the ones that we love. We can be honest with our life. And we can seek wisdom in God's leading. Because really what this means, I think when we finally, if we can get off that treadmill, when when I'm full with, with God and with satisfaction that he provides me, I can now honestly look at my world and my life again. Just like we talk about with Ecclesiastes, you know, it took, it takes honesty and a fear of the Lord to be able to critique the world and culture. The same thing with work. For me to be able to see my work rightly and sober-mindedly and actually critique if this is the right work for me, if I should change jobs, if I should not, if I should be doing this, we have to be sober-minded. I have to be filled up. I have to take a step back and be honest with the Lord, honest with community, and bring my requests, bring my work to the Lord. 
trusting and rejoicing and rejoicing through it all, abiding in Christ and being filled with the fullness of God. The author of Ecclesiastes is calling us as a community to really to live a life that's beautiful, to live a life that's happy, to live a life of joy. And the primary vehicle, well, maybe not the, one of the three primary vehicles, at least, that Ecclesiastes gives, along with food and drink and family, is work. We have to really take work seriously and think of it more sacredly than we're thinking of it. This is not a necessary evil in our life, but rather an instrument that God has given us, something that was created for us, for us to do, and for us to experience God more in and to love and experience others in as well. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your good gifts. Lord, we thank you for the gift of work that you have given us. Lord, we do acknowledge that, yeah, you made us this way. You made us to need work, to want to work. Uh, Lord, to be creative like you, uh, to bring order into the world. Um, Lord, we just, we thank you that you have given us all work to do. And Lord, we just want to acknowledge and confess how often we are just arrogant, petulant children who turn down your gifts and who don't see them rightly, who grumble and complain over the manna that you give us every day. Lord, help us. Help our attitudes. Help our minds. Lord, fill us with your knowledge, with the knowledge of your will and with wisdom so that we can approach our lives and our work sober-mindedly and with worship and thanksgiving. We want to worship you, we want to thank you, and we want to reflect that in how we work, how we speak about work, uh, Lord, and how we work with others. And Lord, we also just recognize that we need a lot of wisdom and help when it comes to this. Uh, Lord, we live in just a culture and a time in which it feels like work options are endless, or at times it feels like it's hopeless and we'll never get a job again or the job that we wanted Um, or we feel trapped in a particular job or a particular stage of life or the work that we've been given, Lord. So we just really pray that you will, you'll help us. You'll strengthen us for these times. You'll give us hope in the midst of hopelessness, Uh, Lord, and that you'll open doors and give wisdom in how to proceed when it comes to to work. Uh, Lord, because you've really, you've called us to this, you've equipped us for this, So, Lord, we trust you with it, and we know that you will lead us when it comes to our work. Lord, be with us as a community and as a church. Continue to build us and guide us. Help us in our witness to this world. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray.